And they were living in Ipe, that group. Yeah. Uh, half of our home group intentionally moved in to East Palo Alto to while connect with the people. While they were going to school? Or while they were some well, while they were going to school and well, some after they graduated and were working. And some of them are in med school and they're still doing all this stuff. And they're in the missions yeah. and they're keeping the tutoring program. Yeah, yeah. It was really eye-opening when we had that discussion. And so it all came out of a hunger, of our, a, a shared dissatisfaction of um, the shallowness of our relationships in every distinct circle that we had. You know, how are we going to share life and share the gospel when you just have a bare, you know, passing in the night kind of thing with all these little circles? And then you just split your energy through all, across all. And then, of course, church is one of those circles, too. And so this, well, let's, let's just forget the circles. And how do we start overlapping and sharing life? That's where the ice cream pizza party. And there were all these events, but behind the event was more the commitment to share life. And so we've been going and teaching Bible clubs and, and doing a lot of that stuff. Okay. I'm sorry. All that I'm sharing. Okay. So maybe I'll give her a chance to share, and then after that we could just. Just, uh, I don't know if I know, I know some of you. I don't know if you all know us super well. I'm Christine Yee, Pastor Les's wife. It's recording me. Um, anyway, uh, I was telling the group a little earlier that uh, I think I can relate maybe with a lot of these families. I see them with all their little kids in tow and looking a little tired. And I had got the attendance uh, sheet of everybody coming here and I had been praying for all of you and your kids before you came. That's why I know Mrs. Lee was coming today uh, to the retreat. But anyway, um, I just want to let you know that from the time I got married, I've been tired. Tired, pretty much my whole my whole married life, and you wonder why is um, I got pregnant a month after we got married, and as you know the kids just kept coming, and so pretty much been uh, bearing children, breastfeeding, raising kids for over two decades, and then I've been homeschooling them for almost twenty years too. So tired, that's why I'm tired. Oh, and then I don't know if you heard the rumor, but it's not a rumor. Every one of our children, we have six, has been born at a different church. So, yes, so we've moved around a lot, churches and homes, and so, yeah, tired, tired. So then you have to ask, you know, how can um, a busy family, even with small kids in tow, um, you know, reach out to the kingdom of God in any kind of sustainable way. And I wanted to share a little bit about our journey um, as a family. Um, I think from the very start of a, of a young mother, my heart was, you know, I don't want my kids to be one of those statistics when they go off to college. You know, it's like 50% or more that they walk away from their faith. And I felt like, you know, I don't think Sunday church and just kind of raising them in a nice, you know, loving home. I'm not sure if that's enough. It could be. But I wanted to um, really allow my children to see um, God at work in the world. And, you know, we've always kind of lived in nice, clean suburbs. I wanted them to see, you know, see life beyond that. I wanted them to see and experience beyond their somewhat cloistered homeschool kind of environment and their predominantly Asian American social you know, network of friends and family. And there's just so much more to God's world. So I really wanted them to be able to travel, to see other countries, to see God alive and at work in other cultures and countries and 
economic backgrounds. And, and I think for our hearts, especially the poor and disenfranchised. Right? And honestly, uh, with Christian Raymond, our first trip to Tijuana, we were just so blessed that CLC allowed our family to go. There had been other missions organizations that would not allow us to, to go as a family. I think there was too much of a liability issue, and they just felt like, well, what, how productive are you going to be if you have your little children in tow? And so um, it was just a real blessing. We went with that picture you saw that Les showed was the second, second year. The first year, um, we brought our five kids. Isabel, uh, Evangeline, Isabel was important. Evangeline was just under three. And, but we had all the aunties and uncles that came with us that loved them and watched over them. And we just kind of naturally took turns building homes. Um, there was a, a moment where she was a bit unsupervised. <laughs> and um, I see the family that we're building the home for kind of motion because we didn't see the family. She's like pointing. And then... I see my little busy Evangeline pulling planks of wood out of the latrine. So basically, there was this little four, you know, three-door hut. It's open. And she went in there, and she thought she was probably working and hauling wood like the rest of us. But she's drying out this filthy little piece of wood. And Lord knows she could have fallen into the hole. But he was watching out for her. And I, of course, was trying not to freak out at the germs that she was, like, pulling out. But um, she probably had, I think she gets sick really. She has a really good immune system. So God was just really uh, looking out for her. And it was really an incredible experience. Um, she would get up in the morning before anybody gets up and start saying, Buenos dias, buenos dias. <laughs> and that was her first kind of experience. And as a family, it was just really wonderful and incredible. And yeah. And the second time we went, Lily and the Kong family was there. Um, there were a lot. It was a big group. But anyway, um, God, I think I, God knew my heart to really want to expose <clears throat> my children in a good way. Um, so at the beginning, I may say what allowed us to kind of become and move into being a more missional family was our home group. Um, from the very beginning of getting married, we had always been a part of a home group kind of Bible study. Um, and as soon as we were able to we wanted to host it in our home. We wanted it to be um, what was just before we could talk very naturally and just be kind of full on bit of the study. Um, even if they couldn't um, do all of it, they would go through similar curriculum or if they had the study guide and be able to follow to be a part of what we're learning. So it became really a, like an all in family experience. So, okay, let's kind of touch about um, how much of our group kind of ignored um, how we can be a part of each other's networks. And at the time, I would say half of our group had intentionally moved into East Palo Alto, which is kind of like your poor East-West Oakland areas. They uh, moved into apartments to be intentional about sharing life with especially the families and the children. They had joined up with an already established ministry that had a tutoring center in this neighborhood of East Palo Alto. And even though it's kind of scary, it has been known as being one of the highest crime, because it's a concentrated, small, small, small area, um, very high crime rate. <clears throat> but anyway, um, we first just started praying together about how we could be more intentional about reaching out to 
each other's communities and social networks. And so they said, well, we've been tutoring here. We want to kind of celebrate the kids, you know, kind of being diligent with their, they have like stars and rating systems, uh, being diligent in their doing their homework. Let's host a pizza party. So we brought in pizza and ice cream and we had a scavenger hunt around the neighborhood and we brought people in that weren't living in East Palo Alto to be a part of it. I think Louie actually, in the pictures, you, yeah, we invited you and you yeah, came. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. It was a long time. So they were in teams and scavengers, our kids and their kids and all together. And uh, they're taking pictures with their phone, doing kind of wacky stuff. But running around the neighborhood together was amazing to yeah. see them all. So I think God just used our whatever big family to kind of just move in and be all commingled with other families, you know. Um, when you bring in a small child, there's something very magical about bringing a little one in. And everybody's just like, oh, how cute, how old. You talk about your children. Um, and then uh, our, as our kids got older, they... Um, as well as less, became a part of the tutoring. And I think that kind of just flowed out of their their experience really being tutored by their mom for most of their life. What a better way to be able to just, you know, learn and grow with a child who might be struggling in reading or math within the context of, like, a, a loving relationship, a safe and loving relationship. So Jordan is presently... Um, doing tutoring in the same, with the same group of kids that kind of been seen over the years. Um, another way we've been um, involved is, oh, so I like I like to do crafts. I've always done crafts when I'm kind of an artsy kid as, you know, growing up, and I love doing them with children as a part of school, as a part of seasonal celebrations. So we asked, you know, what we can serve uh, maybe like on a monthly basis, and so we work now with a, a bigger uh, organization that is quite central in East Palo Alto called Bay Shore Christian Ministries. And they said, well, right, like on special holidays, if you can bring in a craft, a treat, and maybe like a Bible lesson. So we've had the opportunity to just very easily kind of replicate what we might be doing at home and just bring it with them and just share that with them. And so we've kept up this wonderful relationship with these kids and have got to see them grow up. Another way that um, we have been serving is we do Bible clubs with them every summer. And, you know, every summer you kind of try to look for ways to engage your kids productively, right? They're out of school. Uh, a lot of people look. In San Mateo, there's kind of a, like, months before that, everybody calendars where their BBS is happening. And people basically go from one vacation Bible school to the other. And there's no overlap. So you can literally go from one BBS to another. So we thought, well, why not help one in a neighborhood uh, where they wouldn't naturally go to a vacation Bible school? And so it's been just really fun. They already have interns and kids that are trained to actually run the teaching time. We come in and we just assist them in food, crowd control, playing, um, yeah, kind of heating up and serving the meal. But Bella, she loves just being able to kind of help and serve at a really young age. But she's also participating. Mm-hmm. We get to Andy's memorize good. scripture. We get to learn about missionaries around the world. We get to worship and sing silly songs and just celebrate life. And that's just so easy. You just bring your family in, just kind of serve, which they're kind of used to doing, and then just kind of enjoy life with these kids. So we've been involved, I would say, almost like seven years with this very same community, with the same kids, watching them grow up. And now mm-hmm. these kids um, graduate from high school, they're going to college, and they're coming back and investing in unity, which is just so rewarding to feel like maybe you've you know, been a small part of you know, 
contributing to what God is doing in East Palo Alto. That's been just a real blessing. I would say that, of course, you know, this is unique to our family and some of our, you know, where people in our household of faith, our oikos, are located. Your oikos, your network will look very different, whether it's um, on the soccer field with other parents or in the gym or your yoga studio or, you know, workplace. Um, so... And your gifts and experiences are different from our own. So you, you all have wonderful natural passions and gifts and interests and experience to offer. And so I think once you just lay out your heart for a people and what you can offer, God will truly bless it for his kingdom. Any questions? Now, what you said about your home group and how you included your children yes. was so interesting because um, the home group I'm in, we have a total among all the families, 12 kids, ranging from like nine months to three, and we never ever thought about including them. So what we do now is we hire sitters, mm-hmm. and the kids are totally separate from the adults, mm-hmm. but, you know, which is very different from what you guys did. And, right. you know, what you were talking about sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about how... How you know, to yeah, help to integrate them and yeah. eventually have them just be part of the study too. Yeah. Okay, nine months to what age? Twelve. <laughs> yeah, that's a big span. Um, well, I would I would apportion a part of the time just to be more light. You know, they could be a little noisy or whatever. Maybe it's to sing a song or worship song together. Maybe one that they all know. Um, and. Oh, whatever your topic of study, what is, do you have like a study guide or topics that you Yeah, we we'll change um, like the topic of study like every few months. So it would be like a short study. Like we just finished um, James and so we're going to go on to something else that we have a story of you. Yeah. You can imagine then there's like um, sets of values that sometimes run into each other, right? So like on one, if it's really intergenerational community, then it's really hard to do real deep discipleship stuff, right? But if it's really a Bible study, then, yeah, the kids really need to be out and you can focus and be intense and talk about accountability stuff or whatever. And so I think there are some little choices to make over that. But what I'm learning about this idea of missional community, I really believe that there are some new wineskins that are being made because I've read so many books and manuals and seminars on small groups, mechanics, and da da da, and the range like, oh yeah, from eight to twelve, and you know, and every the three-legged school of Lyman, you know, of Lyman Cohen, three-legged, you know, all this literature, and I think they're beginning to find uh, some ways of tweaking things that are more missional and effective, and so what they're realizing is that the small groups traditionally defined, they they can be helpful for some some discipleship, but they're primarily, it helps with some, some community. But they realize when they do like missions and stuff, it's, it's good, or when they do stuff with the family, it's good, but it's hard to be sustainable, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really hard to do the mission stuff in, in a small group because you still have your own needs and, and maybe the connection is more community. So when they're talking about missional communities, they're, they're really talking about what these things call verges. And so it's anywhere from like 25 to like 60 people and they realize in that range, it's small enough to care, but big enough to dare. Meaning they can have sustainable missional community if they share a similar focus. 
right? And so they're developing practices where you then offload your discipleship in other venues. So they have discipleship, they call it leadership training, a lead, a life transformation groups, it's just two or three people and high accountability, single gender stuff. And then they have a family meal. And it's not like a program or Bible study, but they all come and sooner is better with little kids. But then the Bible does come up, but it's not like, okay, let's sit and open up to Philippians 4. And, and It's like you talk about what you're learning in the scriptures, and so it's like the family meal. And that was actually kind of a, a birthright in the early Christian community. They would just do life, and that the communion was the shared family meal. So they have like that piece every regularly, the family meal. They have the little discipleship kind of little groups for high, low control, high accountability. And then they have another practice uh, talking about going to the what they call the third place, which is it's not at your work and it's not in your home. It's just these places that are kind of like more common space, like at a coffee shop or at a park. And so you have this big group and it's like kind of neutral territory. And it's very easy access to bring other people. But these missional communities have kind of a little bit of a missional focus um, that they kind of share. So it just so happens that our group... After you're done. Okay. So it just so happens that our group, even though we're not meeting all the time in our house anymore, because some of them went on the boards, we're going all over the world, there is this definable network and our focus kind of down there in Palo Alto. East Palo Alto. East Palo Alto, yeah. But there's lots of things you can do. Yeah, I was going to say that certainly I think all the families would need to maybe reevaluate if that's something you want to do. Because it would mean maybe less getting into whatever deep or nitty-gritty that you you know, you could possibly do in the, the shortest amount of time that you have. But if this was something, um, there are oodles of stuff that you could do to just even, even if it's breaking up into smaller groups and just allowing them to pray, uh, you know, to share prayer, simple prayer requests. And maybe they know that their grandma and grandpa sit to, to share that and just mm -hmm. pray together. And that's just awesome modeling of praying as a family. But you would need to set expectations because if they're used to just going off and playing, that's you know what they think of small group. But you would need to reorient them to say, hey, you know, small group's going to look a little different. Um, we're going to spend some time together. So when we pray, you know, it can't be like crawling on the wall or whatever. You know, <laughs> let's come together and just just you know whatever they can kind of manage. Um, if if, you, if there's something related to the study or whatever, we do a lot of things where the kids can draw. They can't read or write yet. Let's, if you're studying about a dream that <coughs> the, I don't know, Paul had or whatever, you know, you can write, you know, what do you see when you think about, you know, Jesus or, you know, whatever. So we use a lot of drawing. Um, we'll write letters to missionaries. You know, there's just a whole host of things you can bring them into what you're kind of doing in the experience. And, we do the Operation Christmas Child and oh, you have the box. Yeah. So like each group goes out and they buy stuff and then you bring it back, a big pile of stuff and we do that together. You know, so there's things you can kind of do. When you honor different days um, where the people coming and going or birthdays or special days, we, used, we, we used, often do crafts and stuff to honor We used clay to kind of build or recreate something or whatever, answering a question or something. Uh, we used Legos to actually, I don't know how we used it. I think we were trying to create we're studying the gates or something <laughs> around Jerusalem, and so we try. We each got a gate to build. With them. That was awesome. The kids yeah. totally got yeah. into that. I mean, things like that. We tried to be creative. Sometimes whoever was leading would try, you know, would have that in mind, and so yeah, they would think of kids, involved. and they would kind of think like a kid. What would they do? 
other times they would ask us for, you know, what could we but do? But it's for messy. It's loud. But it's not for the it's, whole time. Uh, it would be part of it, and then they are out. They go off to bed or whatever. They could go to childcare. Then, then you can do your study. You know, uh, at least from my context at CLC, like I've, I've seen three places where uh, the different generations can be missional together, mm -hmm. like even for young kids. And I would say, in, in what I've seen, the top three would be number one, the one that you already mentioned, which is TJ. So Tijuana, building homes together. So I took Ryan when he was six years old, right? And then at the end of the trip, I'm asking Ryan, like, oh, processing with him like well you know that home that we built it was so small like it was the size of our bathroom yeah. a whole family lived there you know and so and so it's something that you saw that it's not really the main lesson yet I think that that Penny will drop later mm -hmm. but it was still a great experience because he was swinging hammers he was with kids there was community it was really the best of community and missions yeah. all that coming together so that would be one uh -huh. for for that I've seen uh, I think the second one would be street meal First press is a street meal for homeless uh, people. Uh, you get to actually just serve them um, food, meet them, pour glasses, mm -hmm. pour drinks in their glasses, and, and clean up. Mm -hmm. it, the only thing is that I think uh, we've caught on to that as a vehicle for uh, missional family, and so has first press. Uh -huh. So they actually have this CLC rule that you know, which is that. There needs to be a parent-to-kid ratio because yeah, we would just sure. love the event sure. with kids, you yeah, know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's not many expressions of that. Right. And this is one of them. So what do you so, do? What are the families? So you know, the, the kids would be serving the homeless, like they would be at yeah. the table, scooping the right. thing, putting it on their plate, uh, preparing the meal beforehand. So that's very user-friendly. You're right. chopping up carrots, right, right, you're right, right, right. things, and then kind of serving them <coughs> with their, their seats with juice and cleaning up after. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really nice. So you could really get engaged with the whole family. Yeah. That was another one. Mm -hmm. I would say the third one that I've seen is Operation a Shoebox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I so you can bring that to the home group. First. All the families can look at their toys, their stickers. You come together, you assemble them in boxes, you maybe write them little notes, and you put them in. Yeah. And you try, it's a little bit abstract. You try to go, this right. is for kids right. around the world. They don't have what we have. We want to share God's resources with them. We love them. We pray for them. That's really Nice. I've seen those three, That's but great. Um, it'd, it'd be great if we had even more, you know, right. that are right. just like, these are CLC, these are user-friendly, these are, right. like, what, what, do you, what do you think? Is there more that we could develop in that way? In that like, way? Yeah, I think there's, it takes a lot of organization, yeah. and you got to put the bulletins and the flyers and posters and rally, and he's going to be in charge of this, and there's a lot of work. It's worth it, but I'm, I'm realizing there's also a lot of missional that, that is not programmed but it requires lifestyle change. And so there's a whole list of these types of things. So for example, before it was a program, right, doing the, doing the crafts um, for the Bayshore Christian Ministries, these were just our friends. So it was a group of single women who lived there, and there's a group of single guys in another apartment nearby, and they would tutor the kids and have the kids hang out. And so we just like, well, let's, let's go bake cookies with them. And then we hung out. One time I just dropped by just to say hi and got some free kimchi with one of the girls, you know, and, and the kids are there. And so there's a lot of ministry that happens, but not because we programmed, but just because we showed up. 
and, and where are the third places they talk about where our lifestyle, without adding something, because it's so hard to add something, and, and even if it's a good program, it's adding something, right? And so can we have regularly, you got to eat anyways, so why don't we eat in the park or eat, you know? And so there's trying to find ways of being missional in what they call these third places. Um, it, I think it would give even added mileage when you have a program because then you already have relationships with that same group of people, right? And then after the event as well. So that, that other piece was like not only the age segregation piece, but it's like if all ministry is seen as a program or an event, you know, then, then it does limit certain things. And also the events require a lot of effort. But if it's, set, plug into an if it's set in a lifestyle, then it's like, wow, I've got my mileage too. <laughs> They haven't so far. Yeah, haven't so far. <laughs> they haven't so far. No. So there's no emotional ties or mm. you see the like same kid during the whole year? Or did you, guys, did you pray during two years? Not as much, not as much. But see, because the people that we are in partnership, they live with them. And the kings the kids hang out at their apartment when they're not being tutored. Right? And so they see them. so I think that sense of place and locale increases the number of relationships. So for example, when Ari and I were tutoring for one semester, this is several years ago, we were just doing that every every week. We got to know some of the kids. And then years later when we came back to do the Bible club, this one kid that I was tutoring one is 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 there now as one of the leaders. And so you do have opportunities for continued relationship. Yeah. So um, I would say our relationships are not uh, deep. And I think we've really I know Leslie's knows we've struggled with this with we can't because we're kind of far it's about 20 minutes away of actually moving into East Palo Alto because then we could like share more life and, and relationship but we do have deep relationships with those single adults and the young that couples are, that yeah. are there every day so we're almost like an extension of them just as much as they're an extension of our family right and so that's we do have to do a little dive bombing and program mm -hmm. because we're not there, there in that but we're connected in other ways as more, a little bit more organic so we could go drop by any other time without a program and hang out and there's probably kids hanging out with them you know so it opens up opportunities possibilities. we do feed uh, the homeless in a community center once a month after church and everyone makes the food ahead of time and then after our service, we all go down there and serve. But what I realize is that we're behind the table hashing even with our kids, but it's not like we're in deep interaction. So we're saying, yeah, you got to get on the other side of the table, you know. And so it's interesting because sometimes other families and single moms would bring their kids to receive the meal. And some of our young adults and others spoke Spanish and had kids. So all our kids are starting to come to help. They would actually be playing with the kids. And some of them actually offered to pray, and they were actually speaking Spanish and getting to know the kids. But of course, there were some safety concerns, so we had to do the kid-parent ratio too, because because they're just running around. And, and there was some concern with the the group that did come there. I mean, some right. of them were like, I just 
fellows and stuff like that. So there had been a warning when people would, would other kids would kind of come with like yeah. other families, that yeah. we'd find them kind of out unattended. So mm-hmm. we had to kind of uh, clamp down yeah. on being with an adult if they were minors. But it had to break out beyond the hashing and prepping the food, even if you do it with a smile on your face, it's a sense of like really interacting. I mean, well, maybe here's like thing. another example of being missional as a family that's not really a program. We had um, a couple come to our church, and the, they weren't married, but he was an ex-felon. Mm-hmm. I think they were really trying to make their life together. Yeah, and he needed work, and we needed painting done. <laughs> so we hired him to come in with another ex-felon <laughs> into our home <laughs> and paint our house and share meals and share life and you know hear their stories yeah. and they came to our home group yeah so that was a, just an example of how again we're exposing our kids to people from all walks of life all sorts of issues of course i'm there you know they're not left alone with my kids but um yeah they get to hear stories from people who struggle with you know. um, in fact <laughs> they were quite filtered so sometimes i'm like okay program, but we just welcomed uh, and tried to reach out in a way, and, you know, it was a service we needed as well. And he did a really good job, too. He was very thorough. Oh, he was a former painter. He wasn't, like, totally inexperienced. He was a former painter. <laughs> 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 Graffiti. <laughs> wow, that is very artistic. <laughs> As a ministry couple, like how would you contrast ministry outside the home that's a program versus <coughs> ministry, versus your home as where the ministry actually mm-hmm. operates? Yeah, yeah. Because I know with pastors, you're like, hey, I, I do ministry outside yeah. of the home, and then I, mm-hmm. I come back home to more ministry, you know, yeah. so where's the, bu- yeah, like that, where's the dividing yeah. line, where's mm-hmm. the boundaries, and mm-hmm. how much is the home actually your place of ministry? didn't share was our I think our home group Bible study really is the focal point of like ministry in our home and that has been there from the time we got married or in time that we could actually start hosting so it's just really has become a part of how we do life as a family it's fixed it's a value so um yeah I don't I think at times we don't even see it as ministry. It's a part of how we do life. Our oikos, our yeah, household. It's, it's supportive. It's loving. It's life-giving. Yeah, it's a lot more sustainable. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's people really constantly you know, like to take your kids out for a movie or just whatever. It's what makes life. So it's ministry at its best. Yeah. You know, sharing life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that has been fixed at, until recently. Like once a week, you know, we have that. Um, but there does yeah. have to be some boundaries too, though, right? Yeah. And you know, I think one um, one of those statistics for like especially pastors' kids, PKs, is that sometimes they have a season of rebellion or they you know check out partly because either the parents aren't there or there aren't any boundaries. And so, but what they found is extremely helpful is that there's some kind of ministry that the family does that has nothing to do with your church, mm-hmm. that is not a program. Yeah. And then they actually see God show up 
right? And so that's why I think it was great for Ari and I to do the tutoring because it wasn't from the church. It was just we were doing this. We just love the kids, you know. And so trying to find things that are missional, mission life that aren't from our church and maybe not even a program, I think is real significant for the kids to see, oh, this is who we are. It's not just part of dad's job or part of our church, right? And it's important for me. So when she was saying, like, idea, when we had our first home group, when we moved back to the area, like, in 96, um, it was never a strategy to start small groups in our church, even though we did. That was the start of the small groups. And it, it started with a handful, went from nine, went up to 18, and then we subdivided or multiplied. <coughs> but if I would do it over again after looking at this stuff, Half our group were the ones who like were all the gamesters. So they ran all the small groups, the icebreakers, and did all that stuff. The other half that stayed with me were all the worship music guys, <laughs> right? And so like, oh. But now looking at this missional stuff, you know, when we had the the eighteen, it was big enough to dare, but still small enough to care. But then when we back went back down to a small group, it's like, oh, it's hard to sustain stuff, and everyone's got oh, and then take care of the kids, but. Again, with this missional community idea, what we could have done is that that could have been a missional focus that each of the group, and they could build themselves up again about that particular focus, you know, and it would have been sustainable, but then you would have to find discipleship in other ways, like or the accountability groups. But it is, there is a sustainability factor that kills it. So I was talking to Bruce that you guys are like eight couples of parents, right? So you guys are the size of a, a mission of community, and maybe your focus is young families. So, so how would you do that missionally? Then you maybe meet in the park, or you meet in play dates, or whatever, you know. easier. It sounds like when you have regulars like panhandlers or people are hitting you up, it's like over time you won't have to like walk around them and avoid them. And so, so it is kind of like managing expectations. You know, this is what I give, but this is this is what I don't give. But there's an opportunity for other relationship or other types of venues where there's more give and take. You know, so I think it is kind of managing because if you don't draw the boundary, they won't. They'll take as much as they can get, right? So I think you are doing life down there. And so what are other ways to do life rather than a, a, a charitable relationship where it's like the panhandler and the, the one who's, you know, right? So I think you would have an opportunity to alter the nature of that relationship that maybe doesn't have as much to do with money or, or food or um, some other kind of service, you know? Maybe they can do some volunteer work or, 
you know, wash the cars together or something like that and share a meal. And it's not like share a meal because in order, you know, reward me for washing my car or doing my windows or something at the street corner. But, you know, hey, you're my neighbor. And so then, and I'm having lunch. You want some lunch? You know, and so it can change the nature of the relationship, but you probably have to set the boundaries with those types of folks. Do you have children? I would think your community is so natural because you are living it in an incarnational that you may need places to actually unplug out of it and to sustain yourselves. Right. So that would be something to kind of like, well, where do you get fed? Where do you get fueled? And it's not like you have to run back to a suburb. Or but it's ways yeah. that guard who you are to sustain what you're doing, where you are. I spent a lot of time with homeless folks when I was living down in um, South Berkeley, South Side. And then I was volunteering in a drop-in center. And um, then we had a Bible study with them. And I'd see the same people that were in the drop-in center around the corner and, you know, panhandling. And it's so funny because, like, they're panhandling and they're like these, like, you know, ghosts. They don't look you in the eye. And then I was like, Dave! And then all of a sudden, like, it comes alive, you know. And so we have a relationship that's outside of that kind of thing. But again, it's like I had to draw the boundaries, you know. And one of them, I actually got a job, and you know, I kind of hang out and go to Bamboo Burgers and stuff down there. But it's not like I was going to have him back in my house, you know, because I was living with some. There were single gals in different rooms in the house instead of it was a student house, you know. So I did have to draw certain boundaries. My boundaries are different because I was a guy, but there still had to be boundaries. Um, what would I do less? And we were just starting to kind of date. He would like see a bra on the street and immediately pull over the car and try to break up the bra. Oh, and I would literally see him fly out of it because he was just this weight Asian guy and there was this big. So but he wouldn't do that now because of his limitations. He would break bones now. So he knows his limitations My and boundaries. <laughs> I know I had a lot of fear uh, with the homeless people and um, and then I also had guilt right and I had to really discern am I doing stuff because I feel guilty Am I giving them change because I just want them to get out of my face and just and so I can go on with what I'm doing? Or am I going to respond to them? And the response doesn't always have to be what they ask for. Yeah. Sometimes I ask, okay, okay, what do you need? Oh, I need gas. I need to get to this bus station. Can I give you a ride? And then you'll know if they just want money or they really do need a ride. So one of them, I did give them a ride. Another gal, she wanted money. Oh, I need money to get this operation, this da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, five bucks. Come around the name street. She's doing the same thing to another car. I was like, okay. 
So, hey, how's that operation? She just started cursing at me in front of the other car. Like, okay. But, you know, so am I doing it just to get, get out of the situation? It's uncomfortable. Am I doing it because I feel guilty? Or am I really responding? Is there compassion? Is it more about me than them? You know, and so I think that's something I had to learn how to, like, navigate through. And then, then you don't have to be codependent with them and stuff, right? I was thinking, should God call, call you or prompt you to um, want to reach out to maybe some of the regulars? I would encourage you to tap into whatever local resources that are out there or ministries. Um, I've passed up the same woman begging because I know she can get to resources. I've heard other people talking. Becky, have you been down to so-and-so? Yeah. You know? Yeah, we all um, know. <laughs> but... I would say it was really empowering. I, I used to work for a ministry in the Tenderloin, and I was a it was a it was a summer job when I was a college student, and you know I came just like my kids out of the suburbs, very naive, um, but it was empowering to go with people that work in the city and know the regulars and have a relationship with the regulars to actually be a part and learn from them how they interact, you know, and maybe some of the stories behind the regulars. Um, I have to share one one story of how I got over a lot of my um, just kind of fears and anxieties about being in the tenor line because it's kind of funny. Um, I work with an organization that reached out to a lot of the Southeast Asian refugees and immigrants. Um, they also do work with um, helping women out of prostitution. But a big portion of it was like there were a lot of, at the time in the late 80s, a lot of HIV, HIV sufferers living in hotels. Okay. And um, the seminarian there said, hey, Christine, would you like to come and join me at this little memorial um, time? Uh, one of the um, men just recently died of AIDS. And, you know, it'd be not, you know, she just thought she would expose me to, you know, the suffering that AIDS is kind of wreaking, you know, havoc on the lives of these men living in hotels. So I said, oh, okay. And I couldn't get there when she, she said, show me where to go and walk and Sometimes a little scary, but it's broad daylight. So I, it, they live in these seedy hotels in the Tenderloin, right? It's like dark. And so I walk into, I follow her directions, and I, fi- I find her, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm relieved. And I sit down, and then in file a lot of the friends of the men who died of AIDS, and these are gay men fully dressed in women's lingerie with wigs and blue eyeshadow and false eyelashes, but still look like being like really uncomfortable to just, you know, experiencing your heart. But I would never have been in that situation had somebody who, who lived and ministered regularly with these men. Um, but honestly, what was more distracting, because I was sitting like here, there's a coffee table here, and I'm sitting here not going to track any and pick up any other germs. Like, a giant cockroach comes scuttling by, and I just could not, like... My, and nobody sees this giant cockroach scuttle by. I was more alarmed by that giant cockroach at that point. And then I was like, okay, get a grip, Christine, get a grip. <laughs> Listen to the hearts of the men. <laughs> but honestly, yeah, I would never have ventured into uh, that setting, being so inexperienced and obviously, but having yeah, somebody who worked with the men regularly, you know, and I could then empathize and enter into the time of caring for them. So I don't know. 
whole scene burned into my memory. <laughs> Just all that going on. I think they did. I don't know if they really saw me, you know. They were there because they were just grief-stricken at um, a friend that just recently died. And they had a lot of fear about their own life. Dying a lonely, you know, wretched, you know, end of life. I don't think I did a whole lot of... I don't even remember if I did speak. But I was there, you know, praying. Yeah, but... Big men dressed in lingerie was me and Bambi. No, Barbie or Bambi, I don't remember. Twins. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about incarnation and ministry and transformation, and that sometimes necessitates moving in like these Oakland or whatnot. And I think that's great. And so I think it raises the question well, what? What does it look like to have community transformation when you have homeless people going or not? And what I realize is that a lot of times when I do have to say no, even for my own conscience, I need to know what I'm saying yes to, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I'm giving through the homeless or I'm doing the food thing on Sunday or I'm, and I know that there are other ministries that will do such and such way better than I and so I'm supporting those. So. It's almost like, in one sense, I could say no with a clear conscience. It doesn't control how they would respond. Sometimes they'll just ah, throw their hands up or just be mad, or they'll just take it and they'll come back and keep taking as much as they can take. You know, and some people will receive it with grace. And sometimes I'll offer to pray, and, and you know, they just really, really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you don't know what's going on on their side. Right? They want some liquor or money or something, you know. Um, but I think I need to know for myself what I am doing, what I'm saying yes to, so that when I have to say no, I can say no. But, you know, you want a hamburger? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but see, living there is great because it affords you an opportunity for a relationship that's still safe, but they're an acquaintance. They're a regular, but you're a regular. You know, and so if it's community transformation, they're part of a bigger community. So then how can you interface with a community that's trying to really come up together, you know? So I did, I did have another question, but it, it's, it's a little bit more about how to raise kids with a missional mindset. Sure. And I'll be honest with you, so I have, I have kids, you, got, you guys know, there's seven and there's five, and there's actually some six and three, right? And so right now, my first impulse when I'm raising the kids, it's not missional. It's actually completely protective. It's like, there is a world out there and it's trying to pollute you and you gotta be strong in who you are, right? So it's, it's not the impulse of, hey, let's get out there and start winning folks to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more like, let's protect the Christ in you and let me reaffirm the Christ in you. Mm-hmm. But I, I also realize as things develop, I think we gotta get a bigger vision. It's not just protect yourself, but right. it's actually, right. how can you be an agent of Christ and start caring for people in need and start winning people to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you manage between those two values and how you transfer from one to the mm-hmm. other? So, so on the one hand, I don't want them to be winning souls and losing their own. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, on, but on the other hand, you know, I, I, 
it's not just about let's protect ourselves from this dark and evil world. Let's be transformative agents. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you transition and how do you preserve yeah. both values? Yeah, I think we had a wee bit um, more control because we homeschooled. That's true. So. That was primarily why we chose to homeschool, that we could really invest in their discipleship. I think that's what convinced me after talking to Serena Chow, um, that here is an opportunity. I have time and the heart to work to want to do that. That was key. Um, but I would honestly say all of my children are so uniquely different. I think you need to know what their weaknesses or temptations or vulnerabilities are. So what may be okay for one child bringing them into this setting uh, mm -hmm. may not be mm -hmm. the case for another. Oh my gosh, I said seriously, just studying the gods of Egypt in history, my, my, I had my kids kind of doubt, oh, how do I really know? Mm -hmm. Now even something as innocuous as a history lesson yeah. made them kind of, well, who's to say that these other gods are, um, you know, whatever. Um, the gods of Egypt. Just to say gods of Egypt. So, yeah, yeah. knowing <laughs> each uh, child, I think, is definitely but you know you can always prepare them before going off or you know uh, into a situation where there might be risk or there might be yeah harm I think it does come back to identity issues too right and so if it's just mommy or daddy's thing then they just kind of tag along um but I know when I'm starting to see some of them, like for example, Brandon's sometimes off on his own doing his thing. He's a really deep kind of person. But sometimes he'll actually come up with some great prayers and stuff, you know. And he's actually developed a real heart for like seniors. So whenever we're at a church, he's the first one to sit down on, you know, and he just talks and how they're going and, and he connects with them. Um, so sometimes I like to bring the kids and do some ministry stuff with me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I try to engage them and they, they can pray for someone who's sick or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of exciting because then they see it's not just a job, it's just this is someone who's part of our community, you know. And so uh, those are some little things to just bring them out and do things with as well as for. Let's took our younger girls to uh, on one of the field trips with the seniors. And they just loved, you know, just interacting with each other. I think it was a, just a mutual blessing. But I did tell the girls, you know, you're, even though you're going to the exploratorium with them, you know, you're there to kind of connect them and love them and find out how they're doing. So yeah, I think it was a real mutual blessing to, to be there with them. It is harder than homeschooling, you know, and... and <laughs> it's funny because when we first started homeschooling, we weren't sure if we were going to do this thing, right? So we went to the homeschool convention center. It's called the CHIA, the Christian Home Education. It was like a two million strong at the time, the open convention center. And I wasn't convinced yet, right? And I was like, okay, are, these, are we these, like homeschoolers real weird and inward? Are they like the Amish? You know, just like a oyster. <laughs> so I walk in there, and I'm thinking, okay. And I see all these African-American women and Hispanic women. And I was like, okay, I guess it could be diverse. It could be normal. And then, then I realize it's the California Teachers Association kind of meeting. And I walk around the corner, <laughs> and I see all these old white guys with these beards. They're like Amish-looking you know? and, and then women and the head girls, coverings. They all have, like, pedophores. Yeah. Like, no, 
I didn't pinafores. know. Pinafores. Pinafores. Yeah, I never knew what a pinafore <laughs> was. I didn't read Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, she she had to define it for me. But like, there they are. You know, and, and then I just realized, but why are we doing this? Is it about cloistering them? Is, or is it really about discipleship? And, you know, and so I realized only suburbanites can afford to uh, be single parent, I mean, single income and homeschool, right? And, and so what about kids who are struggling in underserved communities in their education? Is the public school the only alternative? You know, so I think it's really, you know, relationship, educating them, the tutoring stuff. So in EPA, where the, where the, the center is, it's like, 50% uh, 50% graduation rate in high school and it's like the lower 10% educationally of the whole area and right next door is Menlo, Atherton and Palo Alto and they're like the top 10% so it's like oh my gosh so like homeschooling it shouldn't be a luxury it shouldn't be about protection right it's about discipleship but that should involve you know caring for other kids and stuff you know so but I haven't solved the puzzle on that but I mean, it, it can't be about just, you know, trickling the wagons. So, and I, you know, I had reservations about bringing those felons into my home. I won't say that. I'm just not, you know, a lonely, you know, oppressed come into my home. So I think we were, you know, I think they were, they were honestly just happy to have work. Mm. So generally they were very respectful. But I wanted to hear their story more. And that's when I kind of thought, okay, kids, I want to just leave the room. Because it involves guns and violence against women. And I'm like, okay, don't leave the room. But, yeah, I think that just, you know, said a lot to my kids, too, that we really wanted to help people that needed help, even though they had been in But we school. had some relationship before right, I brought right, them to the Right, home. right, yeah. <laughs> They were part of our home. I was like, they came through part of our oikos for a time, our, our study. So. We don't have it all figured out. So was there ever a time that was hard for the kids that, you know, you're living a missional life like this, your family's involved with it, the expectation is you're going to be a part. Was there, were there ever times that it was hard for the kids to be a part, or they said, I don't I don't want to go to EPA, I don't, I don't. Mm, we, you know, especially for as they got older, it was always a choice. They didn't have to. We never uh, forced mm -hmm. them. And uh, now we have three adult children, it's always, we definitely ask them. Um, I think some of them are so socially starved, they're just happy to get yeah. out. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can't leave the house! Um, you know, we have the mix of introverts, extreme introverts and extroverts. So I would say sometimes they're not really excited, but I think once they go, once they kind there. of pick up, and I think there's but that's a reward. About everything. <laughs> Everything in life, some of them are that way. Yeah, they don't like being in the house. Then then I can't wait to get out of the house. So I think, I think um, even though, you know, because we do things as family often, they'll say, okay, yeah. They, they, they know they would want to do it because we're doing something as a family. But um, it, might, and it might be kind of tiring or just like, you know, just to get out of the house. Honestly, just going someplace sometimes is tiring for them just because it takes effort and energy. And there's always stragglers and there's got to be some restroom or whatever. But I think once you're there and engaging, they 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 sense the reward, you know, and the blessing, the mutual blessing. Mm -hmm. Like when we go and hang out with the kids in EPA. How do you think you would have responded though if they said, "I don't want to go," and their kids like they're ten? Yeah. Yeah, I think. 
what is the root cause? Is it really uncomfortable here. for them? You know, and then maybe, you know, I don't think it's always black and white. There was some real fear or anxiety or whatever, I would not force them. Yeah. And depending on the degree of rebellion, I would, yeah. And the child. I wouldn't force them if, if this is going to be horrific. Oh, there are a lot of times I said, if you're going to have that attitude, then you're staying home. And then I would stay home with them. Yeah. If they're not in with the right heart, then, yeah. And I guess an opportunity for a values discussion, though, rather than just the activity. Yeah. The program. So would you stay? We continue this conversation over lunch. Sure. Yeah, That's right. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Can I just kind of pray for us? Sure. Yeah, we'll walk to a great star, and thank you guys so much for spending time with us. Can I just pray? <coughs> Lord, we, we do endeavor to be a missional community for your glory, and I just pray that as a uh, this rich exchange of ideas you would help us to put it into action to think wisely of our context and what you were calling us to do holy spirit we want to listen to your voice most of all so please uh, show us how we can live these lives that um, are continually as a group just pointing to the amazing wonders of jesus mm-hmm. and so we just pray for your help we just thank you for the rich community and the rich conversation in Jesus' name we pray. Well, the junior higher did surprise me, but uh, everybody else can wait.